Hello, I'm Jessica Wild from Research and Practice, and in this three-part podcast series, you'll hear me in conversation with Ali. Ali's reflections here are brave and honest as she talks powerfully about how she navigated the children's social care system when experiencing domestic abuse from her ex-partner. In the first episode, we heard Ali describe the nature of the relationship, as well as the circumstances leading up to her family's involvement with children's social care. She also reflected upon her ambivalence about wanting help initially, while also talking openly about how she experienced the children's social care system as one that was coercive and threatening, rather than as one that was protective or supportive. In the second episode, we continue the conversation as Ali offers invaluable insights regarding what a different approach to practice can look like, as she discusses her positive experiences working with one particular social worker. In this, Ali highlights the significance of trust as well as a good relationship-based working. We hear about the importance of recognising the protective strategies mothers put in place to keep themselves and their children safe, as well as the importance of creating spaces and opportunities for victim survivors' voices to be heard, including in the formulation of plans. Together, the points Ali makes strongly emphasise the need to always work alongside or with victim survivors throughout their journey while recognising the context in which the domestic abuse is occurring. This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Something um, that I'll just pick up on there as well, which I know we spoke about, was um, your ex-partner being praised in in um, in meetings. Um, could you tell me a bit more about that? Um, I went into a mother and baby placement from the hospital, um, and obviously there you get you've got to be monitored twenty four seven for the first few weeks. You're not allowed to leave this woman. Um, and you have a monitor in your room on a night to check that you are doing night fees, that you are coping. Um, and we had the first review meeting. And at this point, he was able to come. I think he was coming maybe twice a week um, to see her. And he would give a bottle and he would change a nappy, and, you know, just little bits. But, you know, I was still doing the full time parenting. And um, the foster lady was full of praise at how well I'd been doing. And she even mentioned that she felt that it wasn't necessary for me to have the monitor in my room because I'd been coping really well with night fees and I'd just naturally taken to it. And then the social worker just kind of really shut it down brutally, like in how she said, she was just like, I think it's far too early to be looking at anything like that. Even though this foster lady is trained in mother and baby placement, she's been doing it for a long time. But it was just kind of shut down as the... It was nothing like even if she just said, oh, I really appreciate it. And actually, that's really good to hear. But we will just have to keep it a little bit longer Then that. would have been that had been nicer rather than just shutting it down and saying it's far too early to look at anything like that. As though she was waiting for me to screw it up. Um, but then he then was there. Well, I don't think he was at this meeting because he was working. So he wasn't able to attend most meetings because of work commitments. Um but he very much got praise for feeding, for learning how to do a bottle and for changing a nappy and for actually attending his visits. He got praised. <laughs> Just a bit like I'm all for like the positive reinforcement with him. And I truly believe that it was needed for him. But in order to give him positive reinforcement does not mean that you put me down to make him seem higher. Um, 
you know, at the end of the day, I feel like you can give him that positive reinforcement for what he was doing well and to keep encouraging him to do well. But at the, you should be doing that for me as well. Like you should be recognising that I've had to come into a stranger's home from giving birth all very last minute, been put on PLO very last minute, all of this emotional stress, also moving out from my ex. That was the first time I'd lived separately from him. And I was still managing to show that I could be a good mum. I was still really actively being a good mum. And that didn't get recognised at all. If we had a slight argument over the phone or anything, we'd go into the PLO meeting and say, this could happen the day before. And chances are it probably started over social care involvement. That's what most of the arguments started over as well then. And he would then go into this meeting and tell them that we've had an argument, tell them that I raised my voice on the phone and things. And then I would say, well, it wasn't quite as bad as that. So then guess who got got into trouble for minimising things and he got praised for being very truthful without them recognising that he's doing that on purpose to put me in that position. So it was like there was enabling him to keep on doing this. Another thing that I know we've spoken about a lot is um the fact that you you felt unable to be honest or disclose things to social workers and I wondered if you could um expand on that a bit more yeah um when they first got involved you asked to obviously say you know any incidents and they'll line it up with you know are you telling the truth because they'll look on records of what's been reported and sadly, I knew what had been reported. I knew what hadn't been reported. So I only stuck to the incidents that had been reported. I didn't disclose to them at that point any incidents that had not been reported, purely because in the beginning involvement, I also I knew anyway that if they know that it's even worse than what's on like police records and stuff, again, it was that fear of they're going to straight away look at removal before she's even born. Um, you know, it's taken years down the line. In fact, we're now, well, it's literally only this year that I've finally disclosed every incident to the police um, purely because of fear of saying the full stuff and it being used against me because that seemed to be a pattern, a really big pattern of that when he did something to me, if I didn't choose to then leave, I was then all of a sudden the one in the wrong, not him for his behaviour, me for not leaving um which is just how can you put the blame on it's like we immediately write off jerk with that they have no control of their actions we just say you know the leopard cat change its spots and everything else so then that just shifts even more onto the victim to do all the changing then it got to a point as well where um i completely lied to social services about resuming a relationship with him um, that was when I did try to leave him, but things got um, rushed very quickly out of the mother and baby placement within two days of me leaving him. I wasn't emotionally in a strong place. I knew there was a high chance that I would end up going back. Um, but at the same time, I knew that they wanted me to say that I was leaving. And then I, I was worried about what would be the consequences if I didn't. So I ended up trying to leave more for what they wanted me to do rather than what I wanted to do, which, you know, even if you have someone that's on drugs or has alcohol misuse, it's so hard for anybody to make those kind of changes, those addiction changes for someone else's sake. Like you've got to do it for yourself. And I feel like with 
abusive relationships, I feel like it's similar. Like you, you get withdrawal symptoms, you get these side effects of trying to leave and it's so hard to not go back. Um, but then it ended up that I went into a refuge and then we were then, you know, pretty isolated again. And I went and met with him. Um, I then got, that's when I then got another, not a threat from social care that because I'd met with him and because I'd put our daughter at risk, they didn't, I didn't say I'd resumed it at that point because we'd still had another argument. So the relationship wasn't resumed. Um, but then they said they was going to put her up for adoption because of her age, which obviously at that point, again, I didn't understand the system. I thought, oh my God, like this must be the truth. Um, he used to always say that I was overreacting with everything with social care, that they're not going to take her. He, he would always pin on me that I'm overreacting, but he never really had the same threats and the same blackmail that I did. Um, you know, even going into the mother and baby placement, I got the advice the advice that, you know, I have to go into the mother and baby placement or they're going to look at court. It will go to court if I don't accept voluntarily going into the mother and baby placement. That didn't affect him. He didn't have to deal with that kind of blackmail. It didn't affect him. He wasn't having to change anything. Um, But that was just so common. It was always me who got the threats, even from when I had been lying and then they found out about it. He went into prison that same night for... Um, another offence with his dad um, and even then like I got told it's going to go up to an they're going to apply for interim care order no one called the prison and told him that no one held him to account for lying it was all on me like I was the one that was criticised for failing to protect not him but it's like how do you the he's never ever held to account for his part in it. Like we're both her parents. We were both, we both lied. We were both wrong for lying, but somehow I seem to hold more of the blame than him purely because I was her mum. And we have this expectation don't we, that mum should always do what is best for their children and should always be able to change everything for their children. But somehow dads don't have that same expectation held on them. We don't expect you know, abusive dads to change their behaviour because they're a dad. But we expect victim mums to leave that abuser for their children. How how does that work? What do we assume that mums will love their children more than the dads? And it's just all quite wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not very fair. Yes, it, it, it does not um, seem fair at all. Um, and... I think following on from that, something you told me when we last spoke was you were made to fear the removal of your child by children's social care and your ex-partner never had any of those things said to him. Um, He never had to feel the fear. What impact did that have on you? It was very much I was more fearful of social services than I was of him and Actually, like there's been a lasting impact of this because it's just, and I've spoke to so many other parents that I know that even without domestic abuse have been in a situation with children's social care. And that fear, even though I know I've had a good experience with a really good social worker, like after all of this, but that fear never actually fully goes because you're always terrified that what if you get another social worker that's going to manipulate those reports, that's going to lie again, they have the power. And a lot of them 
use their power to abuse and to get what they believe is best and what they think is the easy route. Um, I think it just made me feel like it made me question, like, am I the one to blame? Is that because it almost made me feel like I was unnormal for not leaving for her sake. And there was a time when even a social worker point blank said to me that, you know, she knows it's hard, but she would do it for her children. And I remember walking out of that meeting and just crying because of like, you know, every day I thought, why can't I do it? Everyone seems to say that you do it for your kids. But yeah, I've I've tried leaving. I tried leaving numerous times and I couldn't do it. I couldn't seem to sustain it. Um, I mean, he was in prison for over a year and we didn't speak. And yet when he came out, it still seemed to resume very, very quickly. But it it's just that thing of, I think, they're knocking you when you're already down. You're already on the floor. You're already not understanding yourself, like, why on earth can I not do this for my child? The last thing you need is someone that's meant to be there to support you, knocking you down too. And Ali, I know something um, else that we were talking about was the importance of people feeling safe to disclose or talk about what's going on um, in terms of abuse. And I wondered if you could expand on that for me. I think when I was saying before around, you know, people feeling fear of that whatever abuse they've gone through is actually going to be used against them. So hence why I didn't at the very beginning even disclose of every incident. And throughout, I'd still kept some of the incidents to myself because I was so scared of the fear. But when when that also happens, the knock-on for, like, older children, I suppose, is, I mean, I'm saying this with experience from family members, is that the older children also had that fear of social services and they had that fear of removal. And the last thing that they wanted was to be taken from their mum and that's how they viewed it. But it also meant that, they wasn't actually able to gain the support that they needed for what they was going through. So I feel that's why now I'm so strong on that. I make sure that my daughter has everything early on while she's still young to support her through some of the emotional difficulties with it. But it's recognising, I suppose, just how much the relationship between victim, especially when the kids are young, between the victim and the social worker really stands for and the trust. Because if we don't trust them. We're not going to tell them the truth for a start. We're going to miss out, purposely miss out some instance because of fear of it being used against us. And then in the end, again, it boils down to how does that help the kids and it doesn't help the kids. Um, but it's that thing again of that the fear of removal outweighs everything. Um, and it's the... I guess what you're saying now as well is that it has a direct impact on people's ability to access help. A hundred percent, even if like maybe you could have someone where there's a first time referral put in, but they're so scared of social services that they're going to they're going to say there's no domestic at all. And there is because but that's the thing of that is. It, that's the system change kind of that needs to happen, like people need to feel like it's not going to be used against them that they're in an abusive relationship and that actually the whole thing of that they're not going to then be treated as the perpetrator to their child and actually given the right support without being made to feel like it's their fault. And in contrast, I know there was someone, one particular social worker, who 
you found very different and supportive. And I wonder, if you, yeah, I wonder um, if you tell me about about her and and what it was about her her practice and how she worked with you that was so different. I think for me, it's like when she even first became involved, it was so clear she did not have her end what she wished to be the end thing for the case to close. Whereas every other one, it was just so clear that their end goal was to get me to leave. And she didn't have that. She was very much respectful in, you know, if you get to a point where you're going to leave, then that's fine. And we work with that. And while you're not, then we work with how it is right now. And that's the, you're both still in this relationship. Um, she also never put me in the middle she never put me in the middle of him and social care whereas a lot of times it was very much I'm the messenger can you tell him this can you tell him that or we need him to do this we need him to do that go tell him yourself you know fair enough you might be messaging him and you're not getting a response but you don't then put me in the middle like that's not fair to do because also what what happened was they actually put me in really difficult positions when they was doing that because then he would argue with me and then it would potentially erupt because I was getting the pressure from social care to put onto him. And actually that's a really bad situation to be in, but she never did that. Um, she would just say to me, look, I've messaged. And to be fair, he, he actually engaged a bit better as well with her than what he had done previous ones. He did actually agree to meet with her quite a few times um, and then even, you know, she knew we resumed the relationship and she sat down with both of us and we made, I had a separate safety plan that she knew about that was in case the situation went wrong. But then she also sat down and made a safety plan with both of us about how do we handle if something is going to escalate. And actually, she didn't just put it all on me to ring the police or to do this or do that. She actually said to him, you know, when you're going to start escalating things. And you need to try and leave that house and walk away. And then she just said, you know, you need to make sure that you don't stop him from doing that. You let him do that if he needs to cool off. And yeah, she was very much fair with it. She made it so that he had a role to play as well in making sure things didn't escalate and making sure we was handling things better and not letting everything erupt, which was which I felt helped my relationship with her as well. Because I trusted her. Um and then even, you know, when she said that she tried to do work with him and he'd not done it, normally I'd be very much like, well, you know, well, you didn't really try and get in contact with him because there was times where they'd lied about getting in contact with him. And, you know, he'd written letters to them from the prison that denied getting it until a year later, they sent me these letters out and said, oh, yes, we found them. They were lost. <laughs> so how do you trust that? But she never, she never made me feel like I couldn't trust her. I really could trust her. Um, and she almost like role role modeled a healthy relationship, you know, obviously not that kind of relationship, but the trust and the respect and the listening. So lots of socialists obviously have to say they're going to look at escalating, but they've said it in a threatening manner. She actually has had to do the same thing, but the way she approached it was so different. Like it didn't affect mine and her relationship. There was a time where I broke the safety plan. The agreement was that he should never come over if there's been an argument, like, you know, literally a few hours before. And I let him come over. Um, well, actually, I didn't let him come over. He came and knocked on the door and I let him in. When the agreement was is that that's not what we'd all agreed should happen. Um, but I felt comfortable enough to tell her that, you know, I've done it. He shouldn't have turned up at the door, but I shouldn't have let him in either. 
And she did have to have that difficult conversation with me of that I have to pass this on. It is possible we are going to have to look at escalating it a bit. She said, and then she just said to me, I don't want you to panic and think that when I'm saying escalating to court, that means we're immediately looking at removal or care order. She said, actually, she said, she explained to me about a supervision order and things. Um, so she explained to me, you know, like it's not just looking at, she said, the kids are best with, well, at that point it was just the one. They are best with you and I haven't got any concerns about you, but we need to make sure our hand list better. But I don't know how she did it. She, it was just, she spoke to me like a person. She didn't speak to me like she was completely telling me. I could tell she was disappointed, but she was just all around better in how she spoke to me about these things. Um, and then even in meetings when we had, because at that point then it had gone to child in need, and she'd always kind of make sure that we actually worked as a team together. Um, it was very much like she wouldn't just make a plan without speaking to me. She'd also listen to my ideas and ask my ideas for the plan. What do I think should also happen? So the plan was always something that would work. And actually, if it then changed halfway through and it, didn't, and it wasn't working, I could speak to her about that openly without being criticised. Um, so just things like that, even being able to like take lead on the child in need meeting, she'd always pass it on to me to give everyone else the update rather than, you know, a bunch of professionals just talking between themselves. They already know each other anyway, but it, it stopped feeling like that. I stopped feeling on edge when I went into these meetings and I stopped feeling nervous. Actually, I felt really comfortable and really able to have difficult conversations with all of the people there. I mean, that's such a contrast, isn't it, in terms of how you felt? Um, and I know something else that you spoke about before was how she viewed you as a mum and, and your ability to, to be a mum. Yeah, she never, like, underestimated, like, my gut feeling, which I think it's hard because when you're in an abuse relationship, sometimes you, like, I, my way of surviving the abuse with him was actually my gut feeling. I, I can't fully describe it to someone because I can't fully put it into words but I knew the feeling of when I need to get out of this house I need to get out because something's going to escalate and it kind of never served me wrong the times when it did serve me wrong was when actually I didn't follow my gut feeling and I stayed and I carried on with the argument with him and then something escalated but that was when I'd gone against my gut feeling um so do you and Obviously, when you're making the safety plans and stuff, and I mean, most social workers, when you say, like, when they say, how do you know it's going to escalate? And you say, you know, they're not going to want to write that down. But she trusted that. She trusted that. I knew, like, it had kept me alive and most of the time safe. You know, I hadn't been in hospital or anything this long. So she she kind of just accepted that as part of the safety plan, which I know most social workers would, there is no way that I could say to them, my gut feeling, and they'd be like, okay, let me write this down in the safety plan. You'll send that dot when your gut feeling tells you to. Um, they'd ask me to point out like specific signs that you can't always do. Um, and then like, she just, I don't know, she just always said as well, she trusts my mum instinct. She knows that I want what's best for them. She said, we want the same thing. Um, so she never because she didn't have that hidden want she didn't have that hidden real want for me to just leave him she just wanted for us to be safe and it just it showed through in how she was working with me
Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter. Tweet us at ResearchIP. My conversation with Ali continues in part three of this podcast, which is listed on the Research and Practice website. Alongside the three episodes, you'll also find links to additional materials and further reading.